Hello and welcome to the breakdown. Oh, to the Cycling Central podcast. Sorry, I was getting in a bit of my own uh, plug there. Um, anyway, it's the Cycling Central podcast, and we are talking after the Giro d'Italia. And I am very lucky to be joined by Anthony Tan. Hello, Jamie. And Robert Arnold. No, I haven't been called Robert for a while, but hello, Jamie. Well, I thought, Finch Penninger. Yeah, I thought after my initial misstep, I should go a bit more formal yep. in in uh, my introductions, but it's good to see you both. Um, did you both enjoy the Giro d'Italia? I did. Uh, I thought, well, obviously it wasn't broadcast on SBS, but uh, I thought it was one of the best Giros, the best Giri I've seen for a long time. It's been fun. It's been enjoyable three weeks. It's a bit weird, though, waking up Monday morning and sort of having the kids say, who won last night? Oh, well, we did this on Monday, but Tuesday there was a void. So we've had three days now of like, well, what happened overnight? And nothing. They're just sort of, it's gone. It's finished into the ether. It's a distant memory. Yeah, well, um, we'll be putting something up on Cycling Central soon about the uh, celebrations in Maastricht. If if you remember the Cadell Evans um, cavalcade that was happening in Melbourne after he won the Tour de France, imagine that, except mm. instead of all the yellow stuff, it was a lot of pink stuff and... Yeah, it's, it's kind of awkward, those sort of events. You see them up there on the stage accepting the plaudits of the fans and after a while everyone doesn't really know what to do and mm. they just kind of wander around um, trying to smile and be happy, but it's a bit of an odd circumstance. Nonetheless, uh, a great win for Tom there. Um, Couldn't happen to a nicer guy, but we'll yeah. talk a lot about him, won't we, in a minute. Is that the plan? That is the plan. Have uh, you, so we just can... Uh, I'll reference it because Jamie hasn't, but there's someone missing. We're doing a podcast without Phil Gomes. Indeed. Who's on leave. Uh so oh, yeah. Jamie's the host. So we're missing the Canadian accent. Yeah, he has a he has a very nice holiday home, and he's thoroughly deserved break. I I, I imagine. Yes. But I think this is my first one without him. I feel a bit sort of the the room is empty. Mm. Feels well, odd. he's missing in action, but we shall fill the void with cycling. So we'll come back and talk more about that later. Okay, and let's just jump straight into the Giro d'Italia. What jumped out and grabbed you from the three weeks of racing in Italy, guys? Uh, well, you kind of said it that, uh, Jamie, uh, what my first thoughts were because uh, you were talking about the celebrations in Maastricht and it just made me cast my mind back to Dumoulin's words after he won the Giro. He said, I just hope... I can walk down the streets of Maastricht as a normal person. That's just not going to happen. Uh, this it is a, a huge achievement. You know, the last Dutch uh, Grand Tour winner, uh, Zoltan Melik. It was nineteen eighty when he won the Tour de France, and then uh, no one's no Dutch rider has ever won the Giro. So he was really breaking new ground. And plus, he's as Rob said, he's such a a likable personality, you know, and uh, as I wrote in my blog, you know, part of that likability comes is partly his naivety. You know, he he just he's very willing to answer questions. He's it's often off the cuff, and uh, there's a refreshing honesty about uh, Dumoulin. Yeah, Rob, I've seen a number of tweets from you over the past uh, few weeks about. Uh, supporting Tom and wanting him to get up and get go go for the win. I think. I mean, that just came in advance of the time trial, and I think I just was 
pushing forward sentiment that many people carried because, I mean, you know, Narrow was a fitting leader for a few days, but I think not many people had that much sort of invested in him like they did with Tom because Tom had put on such a show and to lose the jersey in the way that he did. And we talked in advance of the podcast about if how much of scatology we were going to do uh, in, in, in the broadcast today. But um, I think he was the fitting winner and, and that's why... I th- I tweeted what I did on the Sunday night just in advance of the time trial, just saying, you know, we wish him all the best. It'd be great to see him win. And uh, I don't think there was a... There was anticipation. Like, he had to actually fulfil the, the, the speed that he needed to get in, a, in a, ahead of Quintana in the time trial at Milan. But um, we knew from history that he pretty much had it in him. But still, it was pretty... Pretty amazing to be able to deliver like that. Yeah, well, it's one thing to um, have that potential. It's another thing to deliver. We saw it with um, probably most famously Cadell Evans um, failing to over- overtake Alberto Contador in the 2009 tour, was it? Yeah, Carlos Sastro in 2008. Uh, yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah. I was yeah. thinking of a different... Yeah, so you can you can have you can have um, all the potential in the world, but you've still got to go out there and do it. Uh, Tanny, Tom Dumoulin, worthy champion? Oh, of course, uh, I, I just think there's there's a lot more to come from him because he, I think you actually did you predict that Dumoulin would win the uh, year? I said on the podium. But. Okay, yeah, I I thought Quintana would win. I I thought he would finish on the podium simply because of the amount of time trial kilometers. But having said that, it was a very mountainous. Giro, you know, particularly that last week. So you have to say that if he can get through a week like that, not just contain his losses, he actually, or uh, well, contain his, his advantage, I should say, but it was the fact that uh, there was a stage to Europa where he won and it was a mountaintop finish. So he, he really is uh, a complete rider and... You know this transformation that he's gone through from a TT specialist. Uh, okay, it is reminiscent of Injurain and Wiggins, but I think there's something a little bit more with Dumoulin that perhaps will allow him to achieve more than Wiggins from a Grand Tour perspective. Hmm. So where to from here? Is he going to be still that rider who? we think of in the same bracket as Wiggins, like he can win if there's plenty of time trialling and um, then just hanging in there in the mountains. I mean, is that what we're going to see him do at a Tour de France down the line? I think, well, he's said he won't do the Tour this year. Not this year. Yeah. Uh, down, so down, we, the line, oh, down the line. Down the line. Well, we will we'll wait to see what the, 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 the parkour presents, I guess. I mean, that's 2012 was that way for Wiggins. Um, and... We see with the emergence of all these French climbers who we know lose bucket loads of times in time trials, so Thibaut Pinot and Romain Bardet, uh, for example, that they are crafting tour routes which are more and more pronounced for riders, or so they say, every year. But um, So it's going to be interesting to see what comes from Tom, but I think it relates to the, park, to the, to the route every year. So... Uh, it's a bit difficult to say. He's a cli- he is a climber, obviously. He wins at Arcalis at the Tour de France. He wins it on mountains here, there and everywhere. He's led the Vuelta and only he would have won the Vuelta a couple of years ago only for a crisis on the very last weekend. Mm. You know, like he, so he, and that's an incredible climbing race. So the, the guy's amazing. He's yeah. got the engine on him. You, you probably, you, you could almost argue that 
he's already more accomplished than Wiggins, even though Wiggins won from from a stage racing perspective. Even though Wiggins won the Tour, he won the Giro simply because of, as Rob has said, what he's already achieved. I mean, he he could well have won two Grand Tours by now. He's still very young, 26 years old. Uh, I mean, you'd have to say, you know, his his best years are still ahead of him. Uh, but I think we should also talk about the other riders. Yeah, Quintana, you could say, was a little, um, I don't know, felt he felt a little bit flat, a bit like the Tour de France actually last year. So you almost could say, uh, Quintana goes better in his second Grand Tour. Um, so mm. I, I would say that, you know, he, he, he'll probably, he may, he, he may well be better in July. Then uh, Nibali, I, I thought he put on a great show, you know, as a defending champion. And um, and then Thibaut Pino, uh, I think it was Rob's pick actually uh, in our previous he podcast. He was my sentimental yeah. I think you call them Smokies, is that right? Smokies? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Long yeah. shots. I mean, that was, you'd have to say that was a, a great ride by uh, by Pino. You know, he, mm. it was a, it was a ride of, a you know, a, that quintessential French rider with Panache. Who, but then T, um, Pino was also learning that, you know, he does need to improve on his time trialling and he, he is improving. In fact, the whole t- the team as a whole is improving in that in that discipline so this this is what this modern era of grand tour racing calls for a complete rider which uh which dumoulin is jamie i think you you were working on it for for the coverage on cycling central so you probably watched a little more than i did but i'm I'm curious did you I, i tuned in sporadically i was on a deadline but neither here nor there it doesn't matter about my my viewing habits but i'm curious if you have a and a just to ask is, was there so much um, monitoring of power metres, for example? Is the Giro something that is perhaps a little bit more based on emotion because they do have these stages where there's just mountain after mountain after mountain? Did you feel like there was some measured efforts or was they, were they riding a little bit more on emotion uh, I, in May? I don't know. I felt, I felt this Giro in particular felt a little bit more measured than past, um, past ones. I'm not sure if that is the impression you guys got as well because it wasn't wasn't the most mountainous Giro that we've ever seen. I mean, there was, sure, there was the Stelvio, there were um, some of the traditional passes, there was Mount Etna, but it wasn't um, mountain after mountain after mountain, uh, which creates some of those, you know, almost sadistic stages that the Giro is quite well known for. Um, yeah, so I think I think it was a bit more uh, sit-in and wait for quite a few of the stages. Then again, um, when we got to the third week, there were quite a few attacks on downhills and other sections, so... The riders did find ways to attack, um, attack Dumoulin, and they did so quite successfully. And they almost made up enough time to um, make the difference in the end. So I thought it was a, I thought it was a pretty bloody good race. Unfortunately, we didn't get to watch it on SBS, so it was all but invisible in Australia. So um, hopefully, we can figure out some sort of free-to-air broadcasting rights in the future. Yeah, I probably have to argue against that, Jamie, because mm-hmm. I think that. The Giro was a damn mountainous third week. I, th- I really, uh, we, that's that's why I really believe that you know, uh, Dumoulin can win on, even on a course which has 
less time trialing kilometers because the improvement that he made between the Vuelta, which he almost won, and the Giro, which he did win, is it was it was a quite a big leap, and uh, and the, also his his composure um, un, under pressure. I mean, he could all the you know those two toilet breaks that he did have. Um, you know, he got it. You mentioned he got uh, there was that famous toilet break he took, and then there was also a couple of days later where he was attacked by Nibali and Quintana on a downhill again, taking a toilet break. So, all all there's a number of times where he could have just cracked, and you know it was he didn't have the strongest team in the mountains either. So, uh, again, that shows a lot of maturity um, under pressure, and so that that's why I believe that. Uh, you know, he he will be up there with the likes of uh, Froome and Port with, with, you know, not before too long. And even on the difficult days, the GC guys tended to come in more or less in their group, didn't they? Um, yeah, I mean, there were a few days where, like, Pino, he skipped off, got a minute. Zacharin did something similar. Uh, Pozzavivo um, was allowed to get a bit of room on some of those stages. So, yeah, for the most part. But that's um, how you have it, that the top yeah. five is within two minutes of one another. You know, so they, they might be given a little, have a spurt one day, but then they, mm-hmm. they sort of yeah. the real, very much under one blanket the rest of the time, yeah, weren't they? The, the, real, uh, the real battle was um, seeing Dumoulin go off the back, as Tani was saying, and just mm. claw his way back on. Um, it was mm-hmm. quite, quite incredible seeing, you know, attack after attack go and Dumoulin would just grind his way back onto those front guys. The day that Lander mm-hmm. won, for example, that when, when he lost the jersey, when Tom lost the jersey, mm-hmm. it seemed like, OK, it's lights out. But it wasn't necessarily. It was just a little distance. And usually once they've lost the wheel, then they really do capitulate. But Tom just sort of just found a rhythm, tapped mm-hmm. away. He had Simon Geschke with him most of the time and only he peeled off at the last little bit. Um, so it's just interesting to see how they how it plays out. Maybe he prefers climbing on his own without that company. Without, you know, when on the day of the poo, um, he he was looking around at the front of the bunch, and it sort of looked like he might have been trying to spot a spot on the side of the road. You know, but uh, and um, it, it seems that he finds that rhythm when he's climbing on his on his own. Is that a Strange. Yeah, I'm glad. I don't well, know. He, he can stay regular in some aspects of his um, bodily functions, at least. Um. <laughs> well, I, I have to say that what he does, it, it's funny because, you know, when Froome rides to a power meter, people kind of uh, lambast him. But when Dumoulin does it, they say, oh, well, you know, it's a nice measured performance. So I think it goes to show that, you know, um, People wanted the majority of people fans, I will say, wanted Dumoulin to win, and he, it's it's his character as well. You know, he he comes across very well in interviews. It's some the only times he might give short shrift is maybe yeah that time when he he, he lost the welter on the second to last day, which it, it is understandably yeah. so. But most times, you know, he he gives. Uh, reporters ample, ample time, uh, ample quotage. Likewise, so, Froome. Yes, so. I, I don't know why Froome is disliked by yeah. a, a section of the cycling public. I'll say because um, mm. he's you know always a gentleman. I agree. And, I agree. Yeah. Anyway, um, but that's we, probably the Sky dynamic versus 
the uh, Sunweb. Sunweb, where Sunweb yeah. is that's just this team that's just steadily progressed, and I think there's. I mean, I know Michael Matthews loves being there. He's got a great environment for his personal objectives. And he and so he's one of the guys I know on that team and he's spoken fondly of, of the treatment from the management. And But basically everyone who's had much to do with Sunweb comes out with a big smile on their face, really. Yeah, there's, a, there's an openness or perceived openness to this team which, you know, many argue doesn't exist at at sky and then so the i guess also the fallout with the jiffy bag saga with mm. wiggins and things like that has also played a a role um you know also Froome has you could say in his three tour wins has really dominated this was an this giro um in contrast was an organizer's dream you know to have four people in the in potentially in the running to to win right up on the the last day i mean if if Dumoulin did get a a puncture that's 20 30 seconds he mm. could have panicked and um, blown up and he would have lost the giro mm. you know we we could be talking about a a different winner in this podcast and there i, I don't know to to have you know your top 3 riders finishing within 40 seconds of each other after some 3500 k's is 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 pretty amazing yeah and the lead changing on the last day is you know the is the dream of the organizers isn't it so yeah, it's a, totally. a worthy a worthy 100th edition of the giro um, it, it, i'm curious yeah, i said this yeah, after yeah. the tour in 2013 the the fact that it, for me it's it is special because it's 100 but when, but really, that doesn't change the race. Yeah, it's just because a number. it's just a figure. But um, I don't know. It, it does. It does seem a shame that the, the organisers did that broadcasting faux pas, really. Mm. But um, I, I'm cu- I, they sent out a thing on Monday morning. Uh, you know, a summary of the mm. of the figures and facts and figures, and their their YouTube audience was fairly significant. Um, do you think that they? I'm just throwing it out there as a media concept. Do you think that the broadcast uh, decisions that they made this year, for example, what happened with SBS, is that trying to uh, preempt what's going to happen with sporting broadcast in relation to YouTube delivery or something? Well, it's interesting, and I think we'll talk a bit more about this when we get to talking about the Hammer series, which is going to be broadcast on Facebook and YouTube, mm-hmm. um, live streamed on them. Uh, I think that yes, you do have to look at these alternative. Um, methods of delivery of things because that's where that's where the viewing public is mm. and not pe- not as many people are viewing things on traditional you know on the idiot box as they used to and it it has to get a bit more up to date and doing more of these live streams which are easily accessible so mm. i think that's the way of the future and i'm not sure we can necessarily credit uh, rye with uh, foresight in this in this um, arena, but I don't know. Maybe maybe that maybe that's a bit of post justification uh, of because their figures were absolutely awful um, across the world, not just in Australia. Uh-huh. Initially, they were pretty good, but you know, mm. in Australia, we're talking like ten percent of the numbers of last year. So. Mm. We, we we could though, Jamie, be talking about this Juro as we you know in a couple of years' time as we saw it live on. Facebook, you know, uh, I have issues with, you know, the, the amount of power Facebook already has and will have with as a broadcaster. But it, it seems only natural for this 
delivery to take place and why wouldn't fans take it up because it'll be free, right? Mm. Uh, but this, it gives a huge, um, you know, coming from an advertising background, it gives so much leverage to just one mm. or two players. And we've seen how, you know, just having one or two players in the mainstream media in Australia, I'm talking about, you know, say Murdoch owning 70% of the press, most people would say that's not a healthy because then you can control the message being sent out. You know, the objectivity is, is somewhat lost in that regard and perhaps a similar thing might, might happen here, albeit within sports. All valid points. We should wrap up uh, talking about the Giro now. Um, Australians at the Giro, how did how did we go? Obviously, Caleb Ewan took the stage and um, Orica Scott didn't have the best of times with Adam Yates. I think we were expecting better from him. I mean, obviously, he had that crash um, before Blockhouse, which um, ended up uh, causing a bit of controversy there. Matt White definitely wasn't happy after that stage. Mm-hmm. Um, what what do we give them as a grade uh, on their on their um, tour? Uh Probably a six, six to a seven because, okay, what happened if uh, Adam Yates didn't have that crash? I mean, he pretty much, uh, yeah, I saw that stage and I felt like he pretty much blew up trying to get back to that group. You know, there was a fair bit of desperation there because they actually, one good thing we didn't mention was that they did show power meters a lot mm. Uh, mm. I, I thought that was quite useful you know just for the lay person you well you see some person pushing at 200 watts versus 400 watts you see there say adam yates's heart rate when he was trying to get back to that uh front group on the stage of block it was it was through the roof so you, you knew he he was borderline you know go about to blow up so that gave you a good indication just how hard he was trying how much that meant so um but yeah you and i i think we all expected him to to win this is a natural progression for him and um so much has been made of his sprinting style but clearly it's um it's not just dangerous but it's also effective mm. Mm. did uh, did orica miss a trick in those first few stages because there was a number of stages where Caleb Ewan won the bunch sprint but um, it wasn't for first it was for second yeah, they or did. sixth yeah. I mean it feels like months ago mm. not weeks ago but um, yeah the opening week they did but they admitted it as well mm. so I mean they think they'd be much happier if if, if um, you know stage one went a little bit better and things like that and and from the from the success more success comes like maybe i think you Caleb was more or less on par with uh, Fernando Gaviria but um he kept getting beaten by him you know <laughs> um in the first week but it's i've got to you know cast my mind back now cuz it feels like a long time ago yeah. uh, well it looks it looks like that's going to be the sprint battle for the next um few years up certainly way, in, yeah. in the grand tours you and versus Gaviria and maybe yeah. chucking Cockard as well and few of those other youngsters. Mm. Yeah. I'll so probably what's the s- word on the street? Where's Cockyard going? Apparently he's had enough. He's moving on. Yeah, yeah. he's keen to move. Like but hanging up? Or, no, no, no. Oh. He's tired of direct energy. Oh. So the word is. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, they can't announce They can't announce it yet, can they, until the until the deadline's passed? Oh, yeah, we're getting that, to that um, strange part of the season where yeah, we know yeah. things that we don't know. Indeed. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. Let's move on. <laughs> Let's, Let's move, move on. on. Um, we'll... 
leave the Giro and come back talking about this new fangled format, the Hammer Series. Okay, and we're back with the Hammer Series in the Limburg region of the Netherlands, the one kind of hilly bit of the Netherlands there, and it should be an interesting new um, thing that they're doing. All stages under 100 kilometres, and they do the Hammer Climb, the Hammer Sprint, and then the Hammer Chase. So it's what? like a, a climb, a sprint, and a chase. <sighs> yeah, it's essentially... <laughs> yeah. I, I wrote an article on it the other day. It's essentially a points... It's like a point system race from the track, mm. except they've put it on a Camise circuit. So there's a sprint every lap, which gets you points towards your team. And then at the end of the day, those points are tallied up. Whichever team comes first gets, you know, 15 seconds bonus for later on. Whatever team comes seconds get 10 and so far descending down. And then there's a team time trial on the final day mm. where those bonus seconds mean, okay, you go off 30 seconds before everyone else. Mm. And then the others are chasing you, and it's first over the line in that team trial. Trial will, wins the whole thing. It's a bit of a complicated um, prospect, and I'm not sure how it will be. I think the broadcast will be key to this to keep mm. everyone across how the teams are doing. But it's you know it's new. It's been interesting. It's easy to be cynical about something mm. like it, but I think that. The point is, cycling needs something to re-energise it. Rather than we can't just keep on talking about. Tour de France all year round. You know, we know that when the tour is on, it attracts attention and it gets people talking about cycling. But I think cycling's in a funk at the moment. Uh, certainly, road cycling. Um, in terms of racing, I'm talking about. In terms of participation, I think cycling's riding a high and, and um, definitely off road. But that that would take me off on a whole other tangent. But I think that um, to re-energise what's become of road cycling, the, the Hammer Series has a lot of potential. And it's going to be interesting to find out who's doing the call, you know, if they're just going to go back into the Ant McCrossan uh, kind of uh, concepts that we've... Or, um... uh, Robbie McEwen's on the on the call with Declan Quigley, whose yes. name I don't know. But... Okay. Yeah, yeah, he's... he's um... He comes on every now and then on Eurosport. He's, I think he's pretty good. And as we all know, you know, Robbie's, uh, you know, got some very sort of um, good things to say. And he obviously being from the experience and plus the way he can express himself. Uh, yeah, but I'm most int- I don't think I'll pass judgment until I've seen it because it is such a, a novel concept and I, but that's that's a good thing, yeah. It almost feels that uh, cycling does need to do something to reinvent itself in parts because, yeah, you can make the Giro harder and harder and harder, but that really won't uh, get you anywhere. Um, or you can do something like this. And, uh, yeah, I think you'll get some traditionalists who will say, well, what is this? You know, I want to see those prefer to see those 200 kilometer stages in the mountains but then for those people who still love cycling but don't have a lot of as much time mm. to watch as they previously did mm. i i feel that uh this can only be a good thing i, I referenced the call because it needs to be like what you've just done in in the introduction mm. to hammer discussion you point out this is the the principles of the contest mm. so when it's first being rolled out this weekend we need someone to be saying okay now it might seem odd that they're sprinting and it's 40 kilometers to go or you know i mean it 
we need to keep hammering home the message. Pun just appeared. Mm. Um, but I think, um, and, and if, if it's Robbie doing uh, explaining it like Robbie is so good at doing, then I think that we're going to have something that has a lot of potential. Mm. And uh, I, I didn't like the idea when it was first announced. I didn't like the way that Velon pushed it out and, and said that this is the event that we have to have. And you, it's a must-see and, you've, you know, it's going to change cycling forever. Maybe it will. But I think you... But I've softened to the idea. I'm not so resistant to it anymore. I think that cycling does need some energy. And even what we talked, what Anthony brought up earlier about the Giro was showing the power data and pulling that up. And it just seemed a bit more F1, you know, and a little bit more contemporary, a little less... You know, like I've said before in the podcast, if I, can't, I just can't stand it when they show the speedometer of the motorbike anymore. It just it's cracks me. It's, and cycling needs to mature from that, that those, you know, dated images. Well, we're getting there slowly. Um, I'm interested to see what goes on. I think there's a bit of potential for carnage on that third stage. I don't know how team time trial teams are going to overtake each other whilst time trialling and not draft and not get in each other's way on the corners because the time gaps aren't big and the mm, and the format is that they have to overtake each other to win so a team's going to be blocking each other what's what's going to be going on it's yeah got potential for so it's roller don't know what's the one roller derby yeah, yeah. maybe maybe a bit like that Although the teams are smaller, aren't they, Jamie? Yeah, five, There's, five, yeah uh, so seven man yeah. teams, but only five allowed on course any one time. So um, I, I don't, I, I don't know because we don't know um, the actual course. You know, I mean, I don't have any idea of the the roads they're using. Well, I have some idea because I, I lived in Maastricht for a year, well, one year sort of as a race and then another year when I was moving right working <laughs> as a journalist. But I, I, we don't know, oh, are the roads like three metres wide? Are they 12 metres wide? Um, what, you know. what is good is what you talked about earlier about Tom's homecoming and the fact that Maastricht's out in numbers, you know, celebrating a cyclist. And then, voila, the next weekend, look what you've got. Right in the heart of where Maastricht is, the, the, the capital of the Limburg province. So. And he's racing there as well. So right. is he? They've hit a home run on the yeah. promotion well, in that aspect. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, I think that's, there's, there's a few coming together that are really going to benefit Hammer's debut. Fair enough. Um, on to more traditional forms of cycling now. We're talking about the Criterium du Dauphiné, which is... Oh, can we throw up another little thing yeah. for the Australian audience? Sure. May I interject? And I know it's not on the run sheet that we've got here, which is pretty scant anyway. But um, (laughs) last week or the week before, there was some news from the track um, program. And uh, we know that a lot of... uh, This is sort of a pet topic of mine. Mm -hmm. And it... it, um, they, there was news, first of all, a couple of weeks ago that Gary Sutton wouldn't have his contract renewed for the Women's Track Endurance Program. And then last week, uh, Cycling Australia announced the replacement. So it's a sports scientist who's been with the program for a little while, but he's new to coaching. Um, what, you, what did you take home from that? I've known Gary for a very long time, so it sort of it, it hit me a little bit more personally because I know what kind of character he is. Mm. But and but it, when I uh, I made some mentions on RideMedia.com.au about it, and the traffic was immense, and there was a, a world of comment commentary like people were really passionate about what happened but maybe that's just sort of my my generation of people uh for someone like you jamie what what 
does that mean to you? What are you seeing Simon Jones's impact as it being something that's positive, negative, uh, indifferent? Uh... Yeah, I'm seeing a general change at Cycling Australia at the moment, not just um, with the high performance unit and the appointments they're making there, but also other appointments. Um, they've brought in Kip Kaufman to uh, be the director of sports, and he's coming from a background as Cycling Victoria CEO. So he's done a he's he's going to be a very good appointment, I think, for them. He's got energy. He brings a lot of verve to the to the process and he engages with people, which is what Cycling Australia has been accused of in the past. With the high performance unit, there's a lot of salary tied up with staff in there and they spend an awful lot of money on it. And I, I see that there needs to be some sort of streamlining of that staff because you've got a lot of people who've been there since the 90s and there's not really the turnover that you expect from one of those higher level um, institutes mm -hmm. and there's not that new thought coming in as much as it probably should be. So I I think I'd support this move from Cycling Australia. I know that the majority of people who commented on your thing are Gary Sutton supporters and I'm sure he's a lovely guy. I, I haven't had the pleasure of knowing him. But mm. in general, I'm I'm in favour of the of this move. Uh, yeah. turning. Is it change for change's sake? I don't know. Uh, well, you know. I sort of sit halfway between you guys because I know Gary I don't know Gary Sutton as well as Rob does but uh, it I if I compare it to say British cycling when they brought in Brailsford well he kept on Shane Sutton uh, who had already been there before him I believe but uh, the thing is yeah to just uh, it you do get the feeling there throwing away lots and lots of experience in the hope that this these uh this new crop of coaches will will do the job it's not like the previous coaches didn't do the job um but again you could say the job could be done better um perhaps a, a refresh is sometimes is what's needed uh, not just among riders, but also staff. So uh, I, I don't know. It, it, it's it's still too early. I mean, he, he was only, Simon Jones wasn't appointed that long ago. So to give someone, um, I don't think you can make any sort of judgment on someone until they've had some time in in the job and to institute change well that's the problem though i mean you can't judge them until they've either screwed things up entirely or they've done incredibly well so yeah. i don't know um you have to you have to judge them on what they're doing currently as well you can't just um, necessarily wait for the things anyway but it um, didn't generate apart from what we did on riot it didn't generate commentary at all did what, it, did well it, i mean we, you know like which is interesting yeah. like i don't think many people are aware of track cycling I think that's probably fair to say, yeah. And it's and yet it gets the lion's share of funding because well, it's it, a, it, it's it, Olympic it, money, because exactly. it's World Championship money, yeah. Anyway. anyway, we do need to talk about the Criterium du Dauphiné because that is coming up on your SBS screens. Such a um, good race, yeah, yeah. And, such a mini Tour de France. And time timings for the for the Dauphiné yeah. on in Australia are going to be great actually this year. They're mostly going to be the French Open. Yeah, yeah, mostly because um, they got to fit it in before the French Open uh, finals in certain circumstances, I think. Anyway, so they're so they're moved into an early earlier slot, and that's basically late evening for us here in Australia. So get used to falling asleep at a, a regular time while still being able to watch cycling. Yeah, it's, uh, and it's highly recommended. Like if you're getting excited about the tour, which is exactly a month away, um, 
this is a great preview. If you missed some of the Giro because you didn't have pay TV, uh, the, the Dauphiné is a, a fantastic opportunity. And I see that there's a lot of stages that are basically previews for the tour, like it's been since ASO took over the Criterium de Dauphiné. Yeah, so four of the last five winners of the Dauphiné have gone on to win the tour in that year. So expect lots of... Uh, hilly stages, there's a stage that finishes up Alpe d'Huez and Mont du Chat, and then the final one is on Plateau de Solesson, which I don't know. I don't as... know. I've heard of Alpe d'Huez. Heard of that one? Yeah. yeah. yeah I've think... been there a few times, actually. Yeah, I think it's okay yeah. from what most people said. Um, and we got the big it's name. It's not iconic, though. Mont du Chat, I, I know, because I've just finished the tour guide mm. this morning, and so we've previewed it. In, it features in stage, can't remember. But anyway, it's on, on part of the Tour de France route for this year. It's amazingly brutal, like mm. violently steep, really cool, overlooks uh, Lac de Bougette. It's beautiful and um, I'm really keen to see this. I, I've um, had a soft spot for Lac de Bougette from over the years and I like to sit on one side of the shore and look at this this really steep uh, summit and uh, I don't think that bike races have been there a lot, certainly not in the time I've been involved, uh, but Christian Prudhomme's really sort of... Uh, it's whetted his appetite. It's made him pretty excited about the prospect of what's going to come on that day. I think it's the stage from uh, Nantois to Chambry. But um, either way, uh, that's going to be compelling viewing. What stage is it for the Dauphiné? Number six. So yep. that's probably next Friday or so going on, mm. my calculations. Yes, that will be next Friday. Mm. Um, yeah, and all the big names as well. Port, Froome, Chavez, Simon Yates, Valverde, Contador, Bardet, Telansky, Daniel Martin, Koenig... Aru, Buggy, Munches. I'm just yeah. rolling those names off because they're the GC guys. And um, so, who are we expecting to do well in this sort of race? I mean, well, it's the the, the tour contenders. It's but it's not to say that if you, uh, even though you said what you said, four out of the five have won the tour. Even if you don't, there there is still time to tweak um, before the Tour de France. But you, you're not going to get another uh, other than the. Well, yeah, you're not going to get another race leading up to the tour with which has all these no. contenders in it. That's what makes uh, the Dolphiné important viewing. Yeah, it's it's exciting. I spoke with Richie a couple of Fridays ago, and had a, I, I really enjoyed this the conversation that I had with him. We covered a lot of territory. Um, on and off the record, but it was um, there's some up on my website where he talks about the anticipation that he has for the Dauphiné because he's, he's I think he wants to go in and race it hard and race it well. And uh, Contador came out just this week and said that he doesn't know really if he's going to give it everything that he's got, but we know that he will. Um, that's just in his nature. But I um, I think Richie's looking to, forward to racing an informed Froome. And I think probably the others are too. And it'll be interesting to see if Chris responds to that uh, or if he just says, OK, you can... Like Nibali did a couple of years ago when he won the Tour, he was uh, in and out of the yellow jersey at the Dauphiné, remember. Mm. And uh, there would be times where he was really defending the lead and then other times where he just basically sat up. And it, 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 that that's kind of like... Um, the World Track Championships in an Olympic year, isn't it? How much shadow boxing's going on? Mm. And um, yeah, yeah, well, you saw it. Say, Romandy, you know, Froome was clearly not at his best. So it's that's another uh, interesting tidbit. That just what has he done to you know um, address address those 
weaknesses, if you like, that we 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 saw it at Roman did. But Froome is a guy as as Port has often said, who who can who has a very good idea how to bring himself up to to form when he needs to be in. Yeah, but he, you know, he's been in very good form in the past and he's been able to maintain that throughout the season. Mm. So Mm. I think this is the most vulnerable we're seeing Chris Froome ever look and I think it's probably the best chance Richie Port's going to have of winning a Tour de France. I'm 100%. I think it's a bit... In the next couple of weeks we're going to see Richie start to come into uh, mainstream references. You know, he's going to appear in the newspaper and people are going to be talking about Richie Port. But my hope is that, you know, by uh, stage five of the Tour de France at La Planche de Belfil, we'll see Richie in yellow and, and suddenly Australia will be like, oh, my God, we're, we're going for it again, you know. It's it sort of snuck up on us because for years for in advance of 2011 when Cadell won, there was, you know, the two podium, the two second places, there was stage wins, there was this, there was that. He'd, he'd had a, he won a Dauphiné? No, he didn't. He he always came second in the Dauphiné, mm. um, um, and and but either way he had plenty of hype, whereas Richie seems to um, be a, a step down from that level of hype. But he he's deserving of that uh, accolade. I think people need to start sort of tune, tuning in this week. You know, follow the Dauphiné, find out what what he's got. I, I really think that this could be the year where we see another Australian Tour de France winner. Yeah. Uh, if I sort of think back to the last six Tours de France and, and the lead-up to those races, probably 2014, the year Nibali won, was the anomaly there because other than 2014, those other years from, say, 2011 uh, through to last year, there was there was these miles, these stepping stones achieved by the actual Tour winners mm. and... Richie has followed a very similar trajectory in that regard. So, like at at a, at a minimum, you know, he he'd be aiming. Uh, well, he he's set. You know, he looks like he's set for a podium finish. That's that's what I'd say. You know, because you look at the in way the Dauphiné or the Tour or both. Uh, no, in the in the Tour, okay. uh, because yeah, you know, Evans, you know he. It's it just feels very um, Cadell esque, you know. His Richie's season to date, and and Cadell's back in twenty eleven. Well, that's good form to be on. Um, there's a few sprint stages before we hit the big mountains uh, uh, later in the week, so make sure you tune in on SBS Viceland from nine fifteen on this Sunday for the Dauphiné, which, as we said is the preview to the Tour de France. Okay, lads, um, any final words before we before we call it a day? No, let's just call it a day, James. Well, yeah, no, I'm, we, I'm we, we will promote uh, Rob's uh, Ride magazine because you've put the final touches to the Tour de France preview guide. Starts printing tonight. Uh, we hope to have it on sale on the 15th of June. Maybe we'll do a podcast before then and I can really spruik it. But it's I'm really pleased with it. It's a big magazine. It previews the Tour. And it's put me in the mood. I can't wait for my trip at the end of the month. And uh, I think I'm doing podcasts, by the way, for SBS from France. Oh, is this, is this official now? We've, we've signed uh, off on this. We're, we're still tossing the idea up and okay, around yeah. and, and through. And, and anyway, we will find out in the next couple of weeks. Well, excellent. We should be waiting with bated breath. Uh, I enjoy for the that podcasts. I like talking. I'm just tired at the moment. My, my energy levels are low. 
I need to get riding again. Okay. Um, well, it's been enjoyable, and we shall catch you around later. 